This morning, we want to continue our sermon series and study the pitfall of distrust. What is the pitfall of distrust? How can we avoid it so that we can finish well? I just came back yesterday from a beach resort in Bohol as I was speaking at the ACCF Family Conference. I believe it was on Thursday after an entire day of speaking and having finished the last evening session, I decided to go out for a swim uh, at the hotel pool by uh, the ocean. It was about 11 o'clock in the evening. I wanted to do that to clear my mind, uh, to relax a bit. And I thought that 11 o'clock in the evening, the place would be empty. Well, to my surprise, when I got to the pool by the beach, there were about 100 Koreans, uh, Korean tourists who were still partying. And so it was very hard to swim. And so I tried my best, but then I just simply uh, sat by the edge of the pool and just observed what in the world they were doing. I noticed that some of these Korean tourists were playing a very strange game of sorts. Uh, In this game by the poolside, uh, a group of men who I shall let you know were quite drunk, uh, wanted a volunteer to jump into their arms and they would try to catch him. I noticed that there weren't a lot of volunteers, but someone eventually volunteered and moved back as he got a running start. And he jumped into the arms of the men who did not catch him. He fell down hard, face first, into that concrete sidewalk. Of course, all the guys were laughing at him as he's whimpering from pain on the floor. But I don't think he was laughing very much as his body hit the pavement hard. As I was watching this, I chuckled to myself a bit also. What a stupid man. To trust his drunk friends to catch him. As I thought about it and smiled, it dawned on me. This is the human life experience. We trust the world so much that we figuratively make a running start and jump into the arms of a world that doesn't care to catch us. In fact, it is a world that intentionally drops us as it laughs at us for trusting it in the first place. Now, if that sounds like someone you know, you've seen that in the life of an adult, who are you going to blame? You can blame the world all you want for dropping you, for not supporting you, as you trusted it so. But guess what? The only one to blame is you. To be foolish enough to trust someone or something that will only let you down. You have been suckered into the notion that somehow this world will embrace you with open arms And so you put your trust into a society and a world that is so corrupt that they will drop you and laugh at you as you whimper on the ground at the end of your life, wondering what in the world happened. How was I so foolish? I hope that you will understand that what is important is that whom you choose to trust is one of the most important decisions that you must make today. That decision of whom to trust is to be made entirely by you and no one else because there is no one else to blame. 
When you make a decision for whom to trust, it is a decision that you must make. I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 14. I hope you have your Bibles. We expect in this church the responsibility that when you're going to come to worship God, that you have the responsibility to be prepared to worship Him. So turn with me in your Bibles, electronically or physically, to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 14. As we take a look at a king by the name of Asa. King Asa began well, but he ended very badly because he fell into the pitfall of distrust. He didn't think he needed to trust God faithfully throughout his entire life. And we'll see what happens to him. As you're turning to Second Chronicles chapter 14, which is in the Old Testament, a bit of a background. After King Solomon ruled the nation of Israel, the nation was split by God because Solomon departed from the Lord. To the north, ten tribes out of the twelve formed an alliance, calling itself the kingdom of Israel. They were led by the king known as Jeroboam. In the south were two tribes out of twelve, the biggest tribe being Judah, and so it was called the tribe or the kingdom of Judah. And this is where the kingly line of David and Solomon continued. The north had no good kings, no kings that walked with God. The south had a series of good and bad kings. They fluctuated. What was Asa? Was he a good or bad king of the south? How did he begin? Let's take a look. Second Chronicles chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. Notice that King Asa started off very well. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed from the land all the foreign idols and led the people in the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. He led by example as he observed the law and he asked the people to do the same. He modeled for the people how they were to live. And that's important. Young men and young women, if you're going to follow someone in the future, make sure you follow men and women who live out what they teach, who model first what they expect of you. The Bible tells us very clearly that King Asa did what was right in the eyes of God, not what was right in the eyes of men. If you remember from last week, if you were with us, the time of the judges were marked by men and women who did what was right in their own eyes. But here, King Asa changed that. King Asa did what was right in the eyes of God. My friends, this morning, the standard by which right and wrong is not based on what you decide is right or wrong or what the world decides is right or wrong. What is right and wrong is based on what the Word of God tells us is right and wrong. And that's why you and I need to read the Word of God. Instead of asking others what they think on the matter, instead of deciding because you have an opinion on the matter, you should be asking yourself, what does the Bible say? You know, 90%, I believe, of what we go through trying to discern the will of God can be answered if we only look into the Scriptures to search out the Word of God to see the biblical principles for how we are to live the right and the wrong of this life. This is the standard 
by which we gauge the right and wrongs of life. And that's exactly what King Asa did. And with obedience to God, look what was the result. Verse 7. And Asa said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, and towers, gates, and bars, while the land is still yet before us. Note this. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa acknowledged to his people that the Lord God gave them peace and prosperity because they did what was right in the eyes of God. And that's what everyone is looking for today in this world. They're looking for peace and they're looking for prosperity. And that's why God greatly blessed King Asa. Here he was destined to be one of the great kings of Judah in the mold, in the example of his great forefather, King David. God gave King Asa both peace and prosperity. You know, my friends, God isn't so difficult to understand. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the general principle throughout Scripture is so simple. If you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will discipline you. So which will you choose? If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. If you disobey me, I'm going to discipline you. Which do you choose? If I were to ask you this question, I hope you can all answer it. I hope you will choose to obey to receive blessings from God. And yet the sad reality in this mixed up world is that we choose to disobey. It's as ridiculous if I told you this morning, especially for you graduates, uh, this is only an illustration, that if your parents told you your graduation is coming up, if you're good and obedient to me this week, I'm going to give you a brand new BMW when you graduate. Wouldn't you like that? Well, that'd be great. But then your parents tell you if you disobey us, this week before graduation, not only will you not get a car, but I'm going to take back everything I gave you. Seems like an easy decision. I'll obey for a week and I'll get a car. And yet many of us in such a simple decision will still choose disobedience. It's funny, the world will call those who obey Christ, who want to be blessed by Him, will call them dumb. Oh, you're so foolish. For wanting to obey God. This is truly a messed up world in which we live. Make sure that you live wisely. You recited from Psalm 1, one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. There it is right there. That principle accentuated in Scripture. Blessed is he who delights in obeying God. And King Asa did that, and God blessed him. The second thing we see of why King Asa started out so well, because not only did he do as God saw fit, secondly, he trusted in God. And his trust in God was genuine, and it was real. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8 to 15, we find out that there is an army of a million men from the south, the Ethiopian Cushite army, of more than well over a million men, 300 chariots, and they came to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, King Asa had also had a very strong army, had about 580,000 men, as the Bible records. But clearly, when you have a million men against 500,000 men, you are outnumbered two to one. 
What do you do in times of desperation? A million men are marching upon your kingdom. Look what King Asa does, does, verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. I love this one-verse prayer of King Asa. The million men are coming. They're coming. And King Asa prays to God, and he asks God, Would you help us? We trust you. We trust you fully that you, without any other help, can deal with this situation. Can deal with this situation. I love the fact that there is a genuine trust on the part of King Asa. He doesn't assemble his military council. He doesn't seek any other advice other than to seek the advice of God. The first thing that he does. How do you know if you have a general trust of God? If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you trust God? All of you would raise your hand because you think that's the right answer. You may actually believe that you trust God. But how do you know that you really trust God or not? Let me ask you this. When problems hit, what is the first thing you do? Who is the first person you turn to? You see, the first one we call upon when we are in need or in need of help is the one we trust. So if you encounter a problem in life, the first person that you run to, that's the one you trust. That is a litmus test. When problems arise, is the first thing you do pray, to pray, to ask God for help? Because if you don't, then you really don't trust God. He's just but an afterthought to call in when you are really desperate. King Asa, the first thing he does is to pray. When I left for Bohol on Wednesday, uh, there weren't any church drivers or cars available, and Uber is hard to get at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so I decided to drive to the airport with my family. From previous experience, I knew that trying to find parking in the terminals can be hard, especially during the middle of the work week. But as we near the parking garage of uh, Terminal 3, as we often do, I would ask the children, I said, before we enter the parking garage, would you pray that Daddy will be able to find a parking slot? And I added on Wednesday, oh, by the way, would you please ask God if the parking can be close to the door because we have luggage? And so in their childlike uh, innocence, they prayed and asked God that he would help Daddy find parking and one especially close to the door. Well, guess what? Sure enough, as is often the case, as we drove in about eight spaces from the entrance, a car pulls out so that we can pull in the parking. Does that only happen to pastors? Of course not. But I wonder if any of you have tried to trust God even in the small things. Why do I do this with my kids? I do this with my children because I want them to see that when problems arise as small as finding parking, the first thing you do is to ask God for help. You see, most of us, I know what we'll do. Most of us will go into the parking garage and comb and roam around for about 30, 40 minutes. And then as our flight is about to take off and we're desperate, then we say, God, please help me find a parking space, right? 
We do it after our moment of desperation. Very few of us will ask you, God, before we enter. A genuine heart of trust seeks God the first thing they do because it shows forth that they really trust God in all aspects of their life. Prayer should be proactive, not reactive. What you do in times of crisis, the first thing that you do is a sign of whether you trust God or not. How does the Lord bless King Asa? Look at verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. God granted King Asa an amazing victory, defeated an army of more than a million men. And not only that, if you were to read verses 13 and 14, God was so kind. He says, oh, by the way, now that the armies of the Ethiopian and the Cushites have run away, you can take the spoils of war. Imagine that. God defeats the army of the Ethiopian Cushites, and he is able to give Asa the spoils of war, which makes him even mightier and more powerful and wealthier. When one trusts God, God blesses in ways we cannot even imagine. So how does King Asa turn out? Unfortunately, something happens. Something happens as he gets older. Something happens as he gets wiser. Something happens as he becomes more competent in leading. Look what happens. Chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. The northern tribe of Israel came, the Bible tells us, on the 36th year of the reign of Asa to attack their southern neighbors. Now, what does Asa do? In the youth of his life, when he was an early king, he prayed to God for help. But look what happens, verse 2. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. King Asa began to manipulate the situation. He didn't ask for God's counsel. He asked the enemy of his, which was even further north, the king of Syria, would you break your treaty with the king of Israel, attack them so that they would withdraw their forces from the south and no longer attack us? Oh, and by the way, let me bribe you. Here's some gold and silver just to see what good of friends we are. Would you go and backstab your friends? Because in Asa's mind, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. He is become one who manipulates the situation to try to get a desired outcome. You see, as King Asa became more experienced as a king, as he grew stronger as a king, he relied less and less on God. He didn't consult God about this strategic alliance, which God has used in the past. And you're going to see what's going to happen to him. That's a warning sign not only to you graduates, but to every person here this morning. 
as you grow more competent, as you grow more experienced, as you grow more able, as you grow your spheres of influence, there is a tendency to draw away from God. And here is the point. When it comes to trust, you either trust or you do not trust. There is no partial trust. You either trust God or you don't trust God. There is no, yes, I kind of trust God. There is no kind of trust God. You either trust Him or you don't trust Him at all. Trust doesn't have a middle ground. Just like the Bible tells us you can serve no two masters. You must pick one. So it comes to trust. Do you trust God or do you trust the world? The choice is yours. Make a wise decision, but there is one choice that you must make. Earlier this week, uh, this lesson, uh, again, was a reminder to me through something that happened. Earlier this week, Cindy, my wife, and I were at the SM North Edsel Mall. We were running some errands, and we split up so that we can run our errands faster. But unfortunately, as we were in the department store split up, her cell phone dies. And so we don't know where to meet. The last text I get from her was a simple short text that said, Go to counter 32, battery dying. So I got the text, Go to counter 32, battery dying. But soon after, a few minutes later, I heard my name being paged on the SMPA system. No one really ever listens to those, but somehow I caught it. Will Stephen Tan please come to counter 22? Your wife is waiting for you. I was a bit confused. Her text said 32. I clearly, in that muffled voice, heard 22. I was pretty sure I heard 22. So who do you trust? The text of the announcement or what you heard. And I began to think through and overthink something. I thought, well, maybe the text was older and Cindy had moved from 32 to 22 and her battery died, so she had to correct it. Or, or maybe she mistyped 32, really 22, and so she had to correct that also through the PA. I made it a lot more complex than it was. Do I trust the text or the muffled voice? Well, I trusted in what I heard. I, I'd always believed I had very sharp hearing. But I should have learned my lesson after 15 years of marriage. Your wife is never wrong. So I went to 22. That's what I heard. I looked for 30 minutes and I couldn't find her. And I was getting frustrated. Where is she? She said 22. Then desperate, because it's a big mall, as you know, I decided to try 32 on the other floor. And guess what? There she was. Not very happy. Where were you? I texted you, 32. I even told the lady, please page you to come to 32. I said, no, I heard 22. I said 32. You can't trust two things. There is no such thing as partial trust. You're either right or you're wrong. You either trust or you don't trust. So it is when it comes to God. You either trust God or you trust someone else. 
The unfortunate part is that King Asa thought he could trust both. He could step on both sides of the playing field. And he crashed and burned, just as foolish as that Korean tourist who trusted that his friends would catch him at the end. Verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with a very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. God sent a prophet by the name of Hanani to go and rebuke King Asa, to reprimand him, because you have become too strong. Why do you no longer need God? And he reminded King Asa, remember how the Lord granted you a great victory on number two to one by the Ethiopian Cushite army. You called out to God. God gave you victory and even the spoils of war. And now here you are, here you are going up against a lesser foe. I would have given you also the enemy, the king of Syria. But you did not trust me enough. And now you won't get anything. We're often like that. We only have a tendency to call upon God when we are weak and frail. When we think we have everything under control, we don't seek Him. You see, many Christians today exhibit what I call situational trust. There's a big difference between situational trust and a lifestyle of trust. In situational trust, we only trust God in the desperation of our situation. When the situation is unbearable, when the situation is desperate, when we don't have the human means to control the situation, we trust God. But a lifestyle of trust, trust God at the very beginning, knowing that He will never leave us to never let us down. We trust Him, and yet He may choose people to help us, but the source of our trust is not in the person, but it is in God. And listen, graduates especially, what pains me after every graduation is that if I'm able to track with a graduate's life, many of our graduates become too smart for their own good. And as they become more competent, they begin no longer to trust God. And not only is it a message and a warning to graduates, but any phase of our life, there are many who needed God to pass their entrance exam. There are many who needed God to pass their board exams. There are many who needed God to grant them a first job or a continuation of a job or a promotion. There are many who wanted that advance in salary. And the moment they get those things, and the moment they get the results that they want, somehow they no longer need to trust God anymore. Be careful about where that leads because now you're beginning to fall into the pitfall of distrust. Why is this important? Look at verse 9. If you haven't listened until now, look at verse 9. This is important. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this 
You, King Asa, have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Hananiah, Hanani, the prophet, told King Asa something very important. He says, God is always looking for men and women. His eyes are running through the entire world. And what is he looking for? He's looking for men and women whose hearts are trusting of him. Men and women who are loyal to him. Men and women who have not hardened their hearts just because they got powerful and got successful. Because he's looking for men and women whose hearts trust him so that he can do what? That's what the Bible says. To show himself strong. To help those who are trusting of him. That's what God is doing. God is looking for men and women, young men and young women, to help when they trust him. That means the implication. If you no longer trust God in the achievements of your life because you've gotten such great grades and you've gotten such great achievements then you know what's going to happen? God's going to look for someone else. And I've seen it oh so often. Men and women who thought they've reached the pinnacle of life only for God to take away that blessing and give it to someone else because the principle is so clear here. He's looking. And He's looking this morning at all of you, young and old, of men and women whose hearts still faithfully trust Him because He wants to help those people. What was the reaction? Was King Asa, uh, Asa convicted of heart? Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry at the prophet seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa opposed some of the people at this time. Here is a picture of a man whose heart has been hardened from the things of God. Here is a man whose focus on his own ability and on himself has made him to react like this, that he jails the prophet of God. Men and women, don't ever get so powerful that you cannot take advice and rebuke. Men and women who become very powerful will often not like to hear advice. They will surround themselves with yes people. Why? Because they only want to hear what they want to hear. That is the sad, unfortunate heart of Asa that is hardened. Notice what happens to him. Verse 11, as we end. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his foot, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his father. He died on the 41st year of his reign. Here is a man who was changed, changed completely. The last three years of his life, God gave him a disease. God gave him an illness in his foot. Maybe God wanted Asa to turn back to him. So severe, perhaps, was his foot disease that he couldn't walk. And let me ask you this. If you ever get a disease in the future where you're lying in bed, and the only thing you can do is to lie in bed, I'm sure you would cry to God, God, help me. Help me. I trust you to help me. But you know the sad part is, the Bible tells us, as perhaps he's lying in bed for the last three years of his life, he would not trust God. His heart was so hard, and the Bible says he trusted the physicians more than he would trust God. That is what happens to a man or a woman who falls into the pitfall of distrust. 
A man or woman who believes that their accomplishment is all theirs. A man or woman who believes in the hype that he has done everything by his two hands. Be careful that you do not fall into the pitfall of distrust. When I read this story, my heart is saddened because I see so many. But I also look at my own life and I see that I could also fall into the very same thing. For one who started out so well, he'd ended so badly. He fell into the pitfall of distrusting God to trust in his own ability. Graduates this morning and to all of our church folks who are here, I want you to remember the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro this entire world. They're looking at the hearts that you have this morning. Hearts that you have, young and old. And he's looking to see if you're going to trust him for the rest of your life or not. Because if you ever turn away from him, he's going to find someone else to bless. May that not only serve as an encouragement, but also as a warning. If you no longer genuinely trust God, he'll look for someone else. But if you do, the Bible says he desires to make himself strong. How will you finish? How will you finish this life? I really don't know. I pray that you will finish well. There will be many things in life that calls to you. Your success, your achievements, they will call to you. Come, trust me, jump into my arms. But it's only when you jump into the arms of God and trust Him that He will not let you fall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I thank you for your word. I thank you that through the life of Asa, we are reminded that trust needs to come upon you and you alone, a genuine one, not only speaking about trust, but living it out. I pray especially for these graduates as they will be very successful in life because you've given them such great talents. I pray that they will never forget where that talent comes from. Lord, help them. Help all of us that we will avoid the pitfall of distrust so that we will finish well. We humble ourselves before you. We ask that your strength will be what strengthens us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.